Welcome to Show Cause, the official podcast of the University of Memphis School of Law. I'm Ryan Jones, the Director of Communications at the Law School, and I'll be your host for this podcast as we attempt to examine and explain some of the legal and cultural issues at play in the world today. chase folks literally all around the world uh, trying to track them down to hold them accountable. It is not easy. That was former Memphis Mayor A.C. Wharton discussing the difficulties the city faces when it comes to tackling blighted properties and finding delinquent landlords. Memphis files more lawsuits against owners of blighted and neglected properties than any other city in the country, and dealing with this issue was one of the biggest items to crop up during former Mayor Wharton's tenure. It was during that time that the seeds of one of the most innovative blight fighting tools in the country were sown. The University of Memphis School of Law's Neighborhood Preservation Clinic was born as a result of these efforts to find a solution to Memphis's blight problem. The clinic and its students represent the city of Memphis in lawsuits seeking recourse against the owners of badly neglected, vacant, and abandoned properties. These students investigate property ownership and conditions, communicate and often ride along with field code enforcement officials, and research, prepare, and file cases alleging claims under the Tennessee Preservation Act. They then see these cases through all aspects as they head to Shelby County Environmental Court, where they are responsible for presenting at hearings and giving status updates, negotiating with opposing counsel and parties, and doing everything else that is necessary to move their cases forward. As their cases evolve, students grapple with issues of civil procedure, contracts, evidence, property, secured transactions, decedents estates, business organizations, bankruptcy, and many more. All of these efforts are led by two individuals who have been on the front lines of the fight against blight in Memphis for years. On today's episode of Show Cause, we're joined by Danny Shafson and Steve Barlow, who direct the Neighborhood Preservation Clinic together and continue to help lead a national conversation about the innovative ways Memphis is fighting blight. Danny Chafson is an associate professor of law and the director of experiential learning at the law school. In addition to his law school-related blight casework, he also holds an appointment as a senior assistant city of Memphis attorney for neighborhood preservation. Professor Chafson has been at Memphis Law since 2009 and has overseen the law school's clinic and externship programs since 2011. He is a leader in the national clinical teaching community as well, currently serving as the co-immediate past president of the Clinical Legal Education Association, as well as past terms on the executive committee of the Association of American Law Schools Clinical Section. Steve Barlow is president and co-founder of Neighborhood Preservation, Inc., a Memphis-based policy and advocacy nonprofit that clears the path for neighborhood revitalization by addressing the root causes of blighted properties. Steve has been involved in community organizing, legislative advocacy, and community development efforts in Memphis since 1995, and as a part-time staff attorney for the city of Memphis, has guided efforts for the past eight years to use civil litigation in the Shelby County Environmental Court to hold negligent property owners accountable to improve housing and property conditions. More than 2,000 cases have been filed using this approach since 2010 and he handles much of the public nuisance litigation for the city of Memphis and coordinates their blight elimination steering team as well. My conversation with both of these blight fighting pioneers touches on a bit of the history on how the Neighborhood Preservation Clinic was formed, as well as some unique insights into the student experiences that the clinic provides. If you've ever driven around the city and thought, man, I wish someone would do something about that abandoned building, well, these are the guys who are making that wish come true alongside the student attorneys in the clinic and the hardworking teams at MPI and the city of Memphis. 
I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. This is Show Cause. Blight and blighted properties are some of the biggest issues in Memphis, something that everyone across the board is interested in. So I'm excited to have both of you as guests with us today. And I wanted to start off to start off with talking with both of you about the law school's neighborhood preservation clinic um, and the unique partnerships that are involved with it. So if you can give me a little bit of history about how the clinic began and what partnerships preceded it, um, I'd be really interested to hear about that. Steve, I think it would help if you, um, the, really the, the clinic, while it, it launched in January of 2015 as a course and a, a, a clinic that um, represents the city of Memphis with faculty and staff and students uh, in cases before the environmental court, the origins date back, I think, five or six years uh, before that, before that was there was ever sort of an academic partnership or a clinic partnership in contemplation. And I think it would help if Steve gave a little bit of background about sort of just how he came to start doing Neighborhood Preservation Act work, the kind of work we do before the environmental court with our clinic, um, really in the aftermath of the housing foreclosure crisis and the, and the peak of that um, that period in, in time. So Steve, I'm gonna put the onus on you to, to start. Sure, well, um, a lot of people in Memphis had been frustrated about the large number of abandoned houses and buildings throughout the core of the city. And uh, in 2006, uh, a group of advocates uh, from the community uh, who sort of were like anti-slumlord uh, and the city and county governments uh, went and got a law passed in Nashville, which would allow for receiverships. Receiverships are where a third party takes over a property and turns it around, either by tearing it down or rehabbing it. So the law uh, as passed uh, had some interesting characteristics, um, but it wasn't particularly useful uh, just in the way that it was uh, adopted. And so um, it, I got involved in the late uh, aughts, I guess we call them, uh, 07, 08, um, working on a revision to this receivership law, which was titled the Neighborhood Preservation Act. And uh, meanwhile, uh, got involved in piloting some initial lawsuits under the Neighborhood Preservation Act because there's no way to uh, decide what a law should be uh, without knowing what it currently does as drafted. <laughs> so uh, we began experimenting uh, and the first Neighborhood Preservation Act lawsuits were filed uh, a little before 2010, about 07, 08, um, over against the owner at the time of some abandoned duplexes directly north of Walnut Grove from the East High School. And uh, so that goes way back, and I won't fill you in on every detail, um, but we, we began to experiment with, the, uh, with, the, with that uh, uh, draft uh, with that existing state law. And uh, we, um, working with some nonprofits in the medical center, uh, filed 10 Neighborhood Preservation Act cases against owners of abandoned multifamily apartments. And in about 18 months time, got 10 full resolutions of those problems, either by demolition or full rehab. And uh, following that, we got uh, Mayor Wharton um, in his second um, term 
um, on the in the city. Uh, we got him interested in it because his, one of his primary goals in the um, in his administration was to fight blight. He said that in his work around the neighborhoods and in his community meetings uh, running up to the campaign, he heard about blight as a problem at least equal to, if not more than, crime as a problem. And so it was a major priority for him. And so in 2010, in the fall of 2010, uh, the city of Memphis uh, launched its Neighborhood Preservation Act campaign, essentially. And um, the, uh, the, uh, the goal was to file uh, 500 lawsuits in five years, I think. Um, and we filed 119 on one day in 2010. So for several years, uh, we were getting results with filing Neighborhood Preservation Act lawsuits, seeking receiverships if the owners wouldn't make their property right, bring it up to, to standards, you know, rehab it or tear it down if there was no hope. Uh, but we began to get somewhat overwhelmed uh, with our volume of cases and with the limited number of city attorneys that were involved at the time, which was two, maybe three at times, um, with uh, some help uh, from, from some, uh, you know, uh, paralegal support. Um, but we got a little overwhelmed. So uh, I, at the time, was working with uh, some out-of-town leaders on how you do blight resolutions. One of them is Kermit Lind, who is a professor emeritus of uh, Cleveland State uh, School of Law in Cleveland. And he said, you know, we've had a lot of success with clinics in Cleveland. Um, we represent neighborhood groups, community development corporations to help solve nuisance problems. Um, he had been involved in some litigation on behalf of, I think, a community development corporation against big banks that were abandoning property that had mortgages on them, uh, but because they didn't want to foreclose. Anyway, so he had worked closely with students and he knew that it was something that could really work. And he said, you really ought to figure out if there's a clinical program at the law school. And if so, you ought to talk to whoever's running that and see if they'd be interested in uh, getting students involved in this work, because you're you know, you're never going to be able to do as much as you want to do yourself. And um, this could be a great way to uh, make a connection. And so I started reaching out to Professor Danny Shapson, who I didn't know at the time. Um, and he agreed to meet with me for a lunch one day. And uh, that's sort of how we started cooking up this concept. Um so I'm smiling here. I don't know if listeners will be able to see that, but so I'm, I'm just letting you know because, uh, uh, and, and Steve's heard me tell the story a lot of times, but Steve reached out. I think the timing was uh, around August of 2014. And so um, August happens to coincide with the start, the usual start of our law school academic semester. It's not an easy time uh, in terms of, of thinking about new things and just starting to get uh, classes going and, and teaching clinic every semester and other classes. And Steve asked if we could have lunch. Um, I had uh, heard about Steve because I had done some work um, placing students with the Downtown Memphis Commission, uh, who ended up working with Steve as externs and with um, uh, having uh, students placed with the city's law division. Steve ended up supervising the work, the neighborhood preservation clinic work he's talking about um, now um, with our, our law students placed uh, under his supervision as externs. And I'm hearing from those students about all of the work that they're doing um, in environmental court, uh, 
And, uh, but that really was, was sort of the beginning, the end of it for me. And here's now Steve wanting to have lunch. And at this lunch, there was a, a, a close colleague of ours named Sheila Jordan Cunningham, who um, the three of us uh, sat together and Steve, as he tends to do, got right to the point saying, you know, we have um, these cases that are really having an impact in Memphis where we are able to um, largely take a litigation approach to resolving some of the, the most badly blighted, problematic, uh, vacant and abandoned properties in Memphis. Uh, and we do that work for the city. Um, and I sort of stopped right, right when he got to that point. And I said, well, the city has the ability to pay for lawyers. And um, our law clinic, uh, as most law school-based clinics tend to do, we represent uh, clients who can't afford legal services. And we are focused on the more obvious kinds of problems. I mean, consumer protection kinds of cases, child welfare cases at the time, elder law um, uh, cases. And uh, we're taking those cases in partnership with Memphis Area Legal Services. So, so work on behalf of indigent clients and the kind of training that we do with students as advocates in those kinds of clinical courses. Um, I think Steve and Sheila at that point appreciated the need to convince me and started talking to me about um, really what, what kinds of problems blighted properties cause. Um, it became clear to me that we weren't talking about sort of a run of the mill, kind of a, a property that has, um, you know, that's okay and operating, has people living in it and maybe has some uh, uh, structural problems that may take it out of compliance with code. Um, we were talking about cases that have properties that have been um, vacant for, uh, in some instances, decades that are owned by um, record owners who haven't been living for 10, 20, 30 years uh, by defunct corporations or entities that existed only for the purpose of owning a piece of property and weren't doing anything to take care of the property, uh, properties that were owned by out-of-state investors, absentee owners, um, where the kind of compliance that code enforcement normally is able to obtain is not happening despite, uh, in many cases, years and years of, of effort by, by government code inspectors. And all of the problems that these properties cause, everything from property tax delinquency affecting our, our tax base, public services, uh, to you know, having families children living around these properties and the increasing sets of data showing harmful physical, psychological impacts. I mean, uh, and I'm hearing this for the first time and it's sort of giving me pause. Like what, what, what is this? I've never heard about this before. I know these properties look bad. And then Steve and Sheila were telling me about the numbers, right? 13,000 vacant or abandoned structures in Memphis on top of 25 to 30,000 vacant lots and all that the predatory lending um, uh, sort of crisis and foreclosure crisis had done to just exacerbate a, a longstanding problem. Um, and uh, ultimately understanding from them this now approach that they had planted the seeds for that was bringing about success where no other approaches had brought about success in a devoted environmental court that understood because of Judge Potter, 
code enforcement issues, understood the situation in Memphis, and we had the benefit of, in, in Memphis, a law, now the Neighborhood Preservation Act, that had been honed to give us that last ingredient, right? The last ingredient of a, a statute and a cause of action to hold owners accountable, to bring forth solutions in a devoted court. When I say the last ingredient, actually the one missing ingredient was capacity. The city had lawyers in the form of Steve and now Judge Dandridge and some others who were doing this work, but they wanted to bring more cases and had a commitment at the highest level from the mayor, Mayor Wharton at the time, and the law division um, to, to do this work, but they needed more. They needed more lawyers. And so the more that I thought about it, the more I heard about it um, and talked with Steve, the more excited I got about how we could partner with the city to form a clinic that not only could have an impact pretty quickly, but could also train students using a traditional form of pedagogy, clinical teaching pedagogy, that would have students really diving into the cases one by one, handling cases as lead counsel under supervision and training in a devoted court that would permit them to not only appear week after week and actually engage in oral advocacy, but do all that comes with handling a case from communications with opposing attorneys and property owners to code inspectors to the kind of investigation you need to undertake to really understand what ails a property to legal research to attack the kinds of legal issues that you might not be able to see, but really are serving as the principal barriers to improvement of a property. So um, August, 2014, fast forward to January, 2015. Between that time, we got a course approved. I started going to court with Steve not long, after, not long before we started teaching the course together. And in January, 2015, I'm looking at a picture with our first group of eight clinic students that uh, enrolled in the Neighborhood Preservation Clinic course. So January, 2015. Interesting. So it sounds like one of the keys to the whole thing working was um, all the right partnerships being on board at the right time, right? Um, you've had the law school, the city, um, a receptive judge in environmental court and Judge Potter, everybody being willing to uh, jump and tackle this issue at the same time. I know that you you all have kind of led a national conversation about this too, and has been have been a, a national model um, for other cities. Can you talk a little bit about um, lessons that you've tried to teach other cities or other uh, mayoral administrations or law schools about what they can learn and uh, the best the best things to carry forward in, in some of their circumstances and what and what you've done on the national level to kind of help spread this this uh, the lessons that you've learned here. I'll, I'll just say that the, yeah, the, the, the clinic, you want to start Steve? Sure. Uh, yeah. we were the beneficiaries of national outreach in the first instance, you know, the center for community progress in Cleveland, um, which used to be the, what'd you say? Ryan? I, oh, I, I knew that you had mentioned Kermit and the work that you, he had done in, was it Cleveland? Yeah, he was in Cleveland. I met him at a Center for Community Progress National Conference on vacant properties. Believe it or not, there is such a thing. Um, there's one coming up again in 2022 that I can't wait to go to. 
um, because it's people from all over the country who are dealing with the same challenges uh, pertaining to abandoned properties. So when I first got uh, looped into that network, um, it was probably about, two, I think it was about 2006. It used to be called the National Vacant Properties um, Campaign. And it was a it was a conference that they held. Um, and um, anyway, uh, so we were initially the beneficiaries of that national convening and of you know, learning from experiences of other cities and people, um, for me, especially lawyers in other cities who were trying to deal with this from a legal perspective. Um, and so really, um, we at Neighborhood Preservation Inc., which is where I direct the um, nonprofit organization that does networking policy and innovation um, in the Memphis area. Uh, one of the policy areas we were working on was uh, at the local level and at the state level, how do, we, how do we fix the broken systems that are resulting in all of these abandoned properties? Um, that typically has to do with code enforcement and tax foreclosure. And one of the common answers is land banking. So those are three policy areas that we have been involved in and we've been in a national conversation about those things. And one of the things that was missing and that we kept hearing was missing, even in the national convenings where we were going, was a sort of a, what we call a strategic code enforcement approach. Um, and that phrase was coined by Joe Schilling, um, who is a, a, a fellow at the Urban Institute now. Um, but he's done research and writing about strategic code enforcement for many years, wrote the book uh, literally um, on strategic code enforcement. Strategic code enforcement, is really just a sort of a management and practical guide to how to deal with problem properties. It's beyond just the technical, what's wrong technically with the property checklist. You know, it's not just that because solving problem properties is not just that. Solving problem properties involves, you know, like, Dan, like Danny said a minute ago, you know, you've got to have buy-in at the top level. You know, the city mayor and the city uh, legal team and the city code enforcement team have to all agree, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to get out of your way to let you do what you need to do. And, and we need you to get out of our way to do what we need to do. You know, um, meanwhile, the private sector has to be involved and there's opportunity there for university to be involved. Um, so what we were trying to do is bring all of those folks together. And we learned early in our work that, that what was happening in Memphis was unique and we wanted to talk about it. There are other places where similar things were going on and we wanted to connect to them. And for places where they wanted to move into a more coordinated, more strategic approach to problem property resolutions, we wanted to have that conversation. And so we started the Strategic Code Enforcement Management Academy and the University of Memphis Law School has been a founding partner of that along with Neighborhood Preservation Inc. And um, the first thing I always say in that convening is Memphis has not got this figured out. Don't look to us for the answers, but we will tell you what we've learned from experience. We'll tell you what's going well and what's not working. Um, and we'd love to hear the same from you. And so really it's just about national networking. We now have, um, thanks to the creativity of the leadership team that includes Danny, we now have uh, three um, one-hour, one-hour, one-and-a-half-hour webinars that we do each fall, and then a full two- or three-day um, uh, academy um, virtual for the last two years um, every June. 
what we um, I'm glad Steve Steve brought up the Strategic Code Enforcement Management Academy because it's it's a just another forum where we are at a national level preaching the kind of collaboration uh, locally that we have found breeds success in addressing problem properties. The one of the wonderful things about the Neighborhood Preservation Clinic at the law school is it's just one manifestation of, of this idea, this premise, that if you remove silos, right, between government actors and private actors and non-profit actor, non -profit actors and, and academic actors, and you name it, within the community, and you sort of embrace from the start that we can do better if we work together than when working separately, um, the results are gonna come. The Neighborhood Preservation Clinic has worked because we have a wonderful community around us that's thinking about these problems, the problems we're working to address through a litigation approach in other ways. Neighborhood Preservation Inc. Um, is agitating. I, I like to use the term agitator when I, when I describe <laughs> Steve, and I mean that in the most wonderful way. I mean, really thinking creatively about how we can work together right, to remove barriers that exist almost in almost every instance, right? Pick an issue, political or not, in a city. And if it has to involve more than one agency, you have that first step of having to kind of strip away egos and, you know, you know um, kind of force people to work together. When it comes to addressing blighted properties in Memphis, um, going back, I mean, Joe Schilling and Kermit Lind came to Memphis right around the time we were starting our clinic and on a separate plane, we're working on a, on a charter that, I mean, if you look at the listing of, it was a blight elimination charter that I think was ultimately signed in, in early 2016, Steve, is that right? But the years that went into bringing um, groups together at the highest level in government, nonprofit partners, neighborhood partners, academic partners, um, private sector partners, and um, kind of getting them all to opt in, to sign on to not only a commitment to uh, address sort of a nominally uh, address blighted properties, but a commitment to figuring out how we can work better together. And um, uh, I think that's what we've been able to, to, to take nationally um, is this message that it can work and it can work in a lot of different ways. Um, and so every year, right, out of the, the Blight Elimination Charter, which was signed in 2016, I think now every two years, am I right, Steve, that, that there is a, a, um, a Blight Elimination Steering Team is a team that meets monthly yeah. and, and works to formulate every couple of years a new action plan that sets right. out specific goals that it's going to work to achieve over that next two-year period. So we're holding ourselves accountable for um, getting this work done. But that strategic code enforcement model, um, Joe and Kermit, um, Steve and me and others in Memphis, um, we're able to say, look, Memphis isn't necessarily getting everything right. Far from it. But what we have gotten right is an ongoing commitment to foster collaboration, to not allow the usual kinds of barriers to get in the way of the creative thinking that is needed and the creative collaboration that's needed 
to tackle, right? What might on its surface look like a property that's falling apart, but really the history and the story of that property, the legal issues that often are sort of at the center of what's causing the problem, you need to have lots of partners involved if you're really gonna forge a longstanding solution to, to what ails that property. That's, you know, that touches on one of the things that I think is most interesting out of this partnership in this clinic is that you, you all identified kind of a, um, not totally unmet because Steve and his partners were doing a lot of the work, but a, a, a mound of work that not a lot of people were trained to do. Um, and you simultaneously started to train law students to do this work while at the same time um, tackling some of the blight related issues that Steve was looking to to address with the city and Mayor Wharton's administration. And so I think it's fascinating if you can talk a little bit about it. Um, You created a really unique pipeline for training into different career subsets and clear it's clear there's work on a national level and locally. Um, Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? that 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 training pipeline that you have developed with this and kind of some of the areas that you're seeing some of your students go into um, post uh, clinic related work post law school. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that we're we're most proud of. I think uh, we are now with this current class of clinic students, our clinic just celebrated. We're going to be seven years old in in January um, and we've offered the clinic uh, two semesters a year. So we're at, you know, 14 or, or about to be 15 semesters and have trained um, more than a hundred students in this clinic. And the students that we've worked with, um, they get exposure to uh, not only uh, case handling and uh, the kind of uh, responsibilities, um, the kind of day-to-day balancing that comes with managing 20 or 30 or 40 cases in a semester. Um, They're in environmental court and they're engaging in oral advocacy. They're communicating with property owners, with judges, with um, lien holders. Um, They are also um, exposed to all different kinds of practice areas, right? So our cases involve procedural aspects, needing to understand how to file lawsuits and put um, owners and interested parties on notice. That's something you learn about your first year of law school. Um, There are deep property issues, obviously, when you're dealing with the kinds of of cases and the kinds of blighted properties we are um, working with, real estate law, um, exposure to title work, right? And how all that comes with property conveyances and the insurability of, of property title. They're working with airship. A lot of our properties are, um, there are sort of decedents of states, um, uh, legal issues that are embedded in every one of our cases, um, dealing with corporate entities, uh, non-individual owners, tax sale processes. The reason I'm sort of talking about this and the list goes on and on of the different kinds of legal issues that our students are exposed to and, and, and handle uh, when they're in the clinic is because they graduate from the experience with more confidence, with, with uh, a more substantive sort of background to go out and then do different kinds of work. Some of it related to problem properties, some of it maybe more tangentially related to real estate work, some of it having nothing to do with 
the work we do in clinic, but they're in a litigation context or a transactional context where they are employing the, the transferable kind of skills and, and training that they are getting in the clinic space. So we now have students, and this is something I, I think maybe we're most proud of. We have students now on our cases in environmental court clinic cases that are representing owners of properties that are in court. We have uh, one of our graduates, Dylan Holzmer, is now working with the Chancery Court. He is the tax sale coordinator for all of the local um, uh, properties that go to tax foreclosure, property tax foreclosure, which is a vital part of how we deal with problem properties. If we're trying to bring properties back onto the tax roll, get, get them reactivated in that way. And he is an example of somebody who's able to see it through a lens that's more vast, right? Because he's done this work in the problem property context through the clinic. Um, another graduate, Esther Sykes-Wood, is now the executive director of the Shelby County Land Bank and is thinking in a more strategic way about how to deal with the kinds of properties that come to the land bank through any number of ways. Um, we've got a, a graduate of our clinic named Victoria Young, who's a, a local lawyer now representing plaintiffs, most of the plaintiffs in um, the hundreds of Neighborhood Preservation Act lawsuits on file in the Shelby County Environmental Court are, most of the time it's the city, the plaintiff. And, and uh, But now we have a growing number of cases where we have other neighborhood groups or individual plaintiffs, and they're represented in a lot of instances by graduates of our clinic, specifically Victoria Young, who's also representing receivers in our cases. And the experience and the, the know-how that they gain in the clinic, they're now employing to make sure our system can work the right way. And they're helping to bring good outcomes. There are a number of other students who are, as I said, in court with us representing owners and in other ways. And there's nothing more satisfying, but it's, we have, I'd like to think, created now a growing grouping of lawyers who are expert in the kinds of approaches that are needed to deal with these really complicated from property to property. There is no one property that is experienced in the same thing with the same history, right? Every property is unique. And when you have hundreds, thousands of them that need to be addressed, you need to have lawyers and those working with lawyers who understand that and understand the, the kind of multifaceted um, challenges that present that need to be addressed in order to really, really fix, bring back any one of these properties. You know, the, uh, the thing that strikes me the most uh, about this clinic is it's, it's what you would want your urban-based law school to do. You know, it's exactly what an urban-located law school in Memphis, Tennessee should be involved in as an alumnus and as a booster and as a, you know, um, you know, community member. That's what I want to see my urban law school doing, getting connected to city government, getting connected to the biggest challenges that are holding back the community and getting students trained really, um, you know, to, to not only to do this particular job or task, but also on how things work at the local level, how local government works, how the politics plays into it, how the relationships of these various elected officials plays into how you get things done in an urban 
you know, court and in an urban, you know, register of deeds office and trustees office and, you know, not just one court, many courts, bankruptcy courts are in, involved in chancery courts. So uh, I, I think that the, um, when I first approached Danny, I was nervous about involving students in this work because, you know, I think any professional who's worked with students um, has had an experience of it being more work than work produced, you know, so it's more for the students. And so I was a little nervous about that. Is that what this is going to be? Um, but I think the answer to that question is that it could have gone that way, but for the excellent didactic um, approach that Professor Shafson has, his skills at getting students prepared and getting the expectations set appropriately, and not just that, but the support at all levels of the law school. I didn't even, we didn't even talk about that before, but the dean of the law school on founding was 110% behind us. You know, he wanted this to work. And part of why he wanted it to work is because he wanted to be a successful urban law school that helped connect students to the issues of the community. And so um, it really has exceeded our wildest expectations in terms of the, um, the opportunity now to have over 100 students who have learned about the inner workings of city government by going to environmental court and talking about specific properties with all types of people from lawyers to out of town investors, out of country investors, um, you know, to local folks who are trying to figure out solutions to a problem that they just, um, you know, need help figuring out. Well, so uh, go ahead, Danny. I was just going to add, um, Steve, I appreciate you saying that. I, it is, I mean, there's so, so many good things that come out of this experience and to watch every semester, we have students who grew up in Memphis and we have students who are only in Memphis because of law school, getting to know Memphis's neighborhoods, Memphis's people. It, we can handle these cases. We can tell you about property addresses and properties that we, we work with, hundreds of them. But every semester, our students are out touching properties, touching neighborhoods, and touching people in real and tangible ways. That is game-changing for our city, for our law school. It's a mission of the University of Memphis to be partnering in this way as a university with its city. And I think it, it certainly, um, the, the partnerships that we are looking to promote are enhanced through this clinic, but to see our students invest in their city and to see the city, and I wanna make sure to point this out, the city invest reciprocally right? There's a mutual investment because the city of Memphis, our clinic has grown as we've taken on more work. The city now for more than five years has, has given hundreds of thousands of dollars to the law school to hire uh, first a, a fellow, an attorney fellow, now a staff attorney position, a paralegal, because the work serves the city, but it's the city committed to addressing these problems to supporting the university, to supporting our students. And most of our students are gonna graduate and stay here, stay in the region. So I think it, it really is something that wherever you look sort of within this expansive partnership, there has been not only buy-in, but in a very real way, every partner putting their money where their mouth is um, and going out and doing this work, it's exceeded my wildest expectations in that way. And I, I mentioned Bridget Welsh, who's now our staff attorney, um, who is doing incredible work. We, we now are at a point where we can't do 
that work, we're able to continuously have hundreds of cases on file on the city's behalf because of the investment the city has made, the continuing investment in us to keep the clinic as outside counsel, to keep supporting the work that Steve is doing, that I'm doing, that Bridget's is doing, that our extended team is doing. Um, and I also want to mention Brittany Williams, who was our first, our fellow, first an extern mm-hmm. with Steve um, before we started the clinic and now has gone. And I didn't mention her and she's not a traditional graduate of our clinic, but when she was the staff attorney, she was working here to train students and handle cases. And now she is working very closely at the highest levels of the law division to counsel public works, to counsel code enforcement, because she has a unique set of experience and expertise that I think the work, her work in connection with the clinic helped her to develop. And now it's giving back yeah. to the city. And so to see all of these different our graduates, right, our, our staff alumna, who are doing this work, it's, I can't tell you how gratifying it is. Well, I know it's exciting to see. And on that, this, on the similar topic of the evolution of the work, um, Steve, I wanted to ask you about how MPIs evolved along, even outside of the, the partnership with the law school and the clinic. I know that your organization recently uh, merged with um, another local um Community Development Corporation, correct? Um, can you talk a little bit about that that merger, that partnership, and how you see um, how you see your organization going forward and addressing uh, this issue in, in different ways because of that partnership? Yeah, um, thanks for mentioning that. The um, uh, Neighborhood Preservation Incorporated is planning to consolidate operations with the Works Incorporated. Um, effective January 1st, we're already working, of 2022, we're already working together very closely um, and uh, have many joint ventures uh, already in the works, which is sort of why it became a natural next step to just really get under the same umbrella. Um, the One of the things that you learn working on solving problem properties is especially when it's like a demolition, like a no hope of rehab for a property, um, and you are successful at getting the old structure removed, which has been a nuisance. Nobody is happy with that. Everybody wants to know, okay, what's next? You know, And for a long time, Neighborhood Preservation Inc. has really been like, well, that's somebody else's job. You know, um, and, uh, and one of the somebody else's whose job it would be would be community development corporations like the Works Incorporated. The Works Incorporated historically has been a neighborhood-based South Memphis neighborhood um, organization that focused mostly on the area, um, sort of near the intersection of um, Mississippi and uh, South Parkway um, around uh, St. Andrew's AME Church. And uh, that's who who was involved in getting it launched um, some years ago. And uh, the... Um, so the opportunity that we see here is, uh, is for Neighborhood Preservation Inc. to continue to work on the policy side of things, uh, to keep doing what we're doing, to advocate for improved laws and practices for dealing with problem properties in Memphis especially, but also across the state. And more and more, we're involved in federal policy conversations. Um, also, um, continue to strengthen those networks that's really aimed at silo busting, as Danny mentioned. 
to get people to just talk, just get together. Hopefully we'll be able to get together for lunch on a regular basis again soon. We've been virtual for seems like forever now with our monthly blight elimination steering team meetings. Um, but the idea was you get together for lunch once a month, you talk about whatever you talk about on an agenda, who's doing what, and then you stay connected. And then when you, when you need something from somebody, it's, you've got a natural next time you're going to get together with them. I mean, it's really that simple. Just the networking side of things is keep people connected to each other. And then on the innovation side of things, which NPI has been involved in, that's where we'll probably join forces the most with the works. It's when we want to get creative about a solution, you know, um, all of the all of the examples that are in all of the playbooks that any of us know won't work on a particular situation. And so we got to get creative. We got to try something that nobody's ever tried before. We're willing to take the risk. Well, they have the development skills. They've developed um, hundreds of, uh, of, of units of apartments, as well as a lot of single family housing. Um, and they've invested in commercial projects. So what we believe is that together, Neighborhood Preservation Inc. and the Works Incorporated will give Memphis the opportunity to have a high capacity, um, um, rapidly growing um, sort of policy organization all the way through development organization that can really work on the affordable housing challenge in our community and on uh, revitalization efforts that have a meaningful impact on um, the, uh, the health and well-being of people living in some of the more distressed neighborhoods that have not had the kind of attention that they should have received um, in terms of their infrastructure, their uh, quality of, of buildings, services, et cetera. So we'll be advocating together to improve neighborhoods, um, especially in the urban core. And we'll be working to bring in resources um, to eliminate the blight, but also to redevelop into a creative, um, desirable, healthy neighborhoods. That's cool. It sounds like a, a natural evolution. I'm excited to see, you know, what you guys accomplish with it. Um, as we're kind of nearing the end of things here, I thought I'd give you each an opportunity to um, maybe give listeners who are driving around Memphis. Like you said earlier, people always drive around and say, I wish something would be done with that. What, uh, if you're able to comment on on any ongoing cases, what are some exciting things um, that are happening right now where people might be driving around and they point at that and they should know the neighborhood preservation clinic is, is working to address that particular property or that particular project. And if you don't want to comment on any ongoing stuff, maybe name one that you're especially proud of that people um, have seen something happen with, but they don't know that the clinic was involved in the, the litigation and the remediation for that. Well, I mean, I guess maybe another thing I'm, I'm really proud of is that it's a lot of times you don't know that mm -hmm. the clinic has a case that's bringing forth a really positive outcome. And the overwhelming majority of, of the work that the clinic is doing in, in our cases um, are, are involving um, residential, you know, single family residential uh, structures in the middle of neighborhoods that aren't necessarily high traffic neighborhoods, but, you know, um, it's going to make a big difference. Yeah. Yes. And, and just um, one of the laments we, we understandably hear most is that um, why does it take so long if a property is empty and vacant and an owner so clearly doesn't want to uh, do anything 
or isn't even living to do anything with a property, doesn't exist anymore, if it's a corporate owner, why does it take so long? And I think the answer to that is, is, is the reason you need to have lawyers and law students involved in the solution. And that is because there are time-honored rights to property in this country that are sacred and will remain sacred, they should. Um, and we need to balance all of that together with the processes at play to make sure those rights are honored, but that we can move forward beyond right, just the rights to, to try to find a solution to a property that really isn't working anymore. And not only is it not working, it's causing harm in a number of different ways. And so one thing I wanna tell folks who are listening is you might not necessarily see it, but now given the numbers, it is, it is very likely that a problem property that you're looking at, that you're dealing with um, is either being worked on by city of Memphis code enforcement or is the subject of a neighborhood preservation clinic lawsuit, or it's headed in that direction. And we have the statute in a place where we are now starting and law students were at the, at the heart of the most recent um, amendments, substantive amendments in 2018 to the Neighborhood Preservation Act that took all that we had done over the 10 plus years where the law is being used and said, all right, how do we need to fix this so that we can really right, move beyond what the challenges are that are remaining. And so the biggest thing we did was um, ask the legislature to change the law to allow for lawsuits to be brought in rem, right? It's an old um, legal concept that, that actually has the defendant in the lawsuit as the property address. So city of Memphis V123 Main Street, as opposed to the owner. And the reason is because we still need to give notice. We need to still put the owner on notice the defendant on notice, right? And we can do that even if the defendant is deceased, even if it's a defunct corporate entity by you know, bringing these lawsuits in REM. And so we also strengthened the receiver mechanism to take away some of the restrictions on who could serve as a receiver. And now each and every Neighborhood Preservation Act docket day, in the environmental court, we are having receivers appear for properties that are no longer in compliance. And now we've gotten court orders saying that a receiver is needed and receivers are now coming to bat and stepping into place of the owner where the owner has been demonstrated the owner's not going to do that work or can't do that work or doesn't exist to do that work and stepping in and abating the nuisance conditions more often than not through a rehabilitation rather than demolition. And so that is really happening and we're gonna have more and more good stories to tell because what has really resulted after now three years after the amendments went into effect is now we're starting to see real capacity on the receiver side. And that is a huge, huge um, uh, thing that's happening there. So lots of good news to come. I'll just say, look no further than downtown if you wanna see the impact of the Neighborhood Preservation Act because you have property right across from um, the, the um, baseball stadium right across from um, some of our historic hotels, uh, the old benchmark hotel that was a, a skeleton structure for got approaching a decade that sat right in the middle of our downtown and is now the site of a beautiful new boutique hotel. Um, that really nothing was doing, nothing was happening at that property until um, it was the downtown Memphis commission that filed a neighborhood preservation act lawsuit and that really instigated a sale by an owner in Nashville that 
um, is on record in court as saying it wasn't going to do anything with that structure and just sort of let it sit until the market was such that he could make money on, on selling the property. Um, some of the properties in South Maine that sat empty for a long time. Now, um, the new South of Beale restaurant, the expansion, mm-hmm. um, came out of a Neighborhood Preservation Act case against what sat there previously, a longstanding vacant property. And so um, I like it when folks don't know, they're only able to see the after picture. A lot of what we, we're seeing in a lot of neighborhoods, as far as revived properties and downtown increasingly, are the result of this statute and the litigation environmental court that the clinic brings, and now growing number of other plaintiffs in these cases because of the, the seeds that the clinic and the statute have planted. Very cool. That's, so Steve, did Danny steal your thunder there? Should I just uh, say, Steve, tell me all about the Prince Mongo properties that you've had to work on over the years. <laughs> well, uh, Danny captured it well. Um, we've definitely worked with a lot of different owners from a lot of different backgrounds. Um, one of the things that I guess um, that I can I can kind of close with is is that to me, uh, this work is really all about relationships, positive relationships with owners, neighbors, um, banks, other lawyers. We tell the students that this is not traditional adversarial litigation that you've read about or watched on the movies. This is the kind of thing where we want you to get to know what's going on. Every problem property has a story. And you as the law student handling this or the lawyer handling this, your job is to figure out that story. Make contact with the right person who has ownership interest in the property figure out the story and figure out how to get that property to the next chapter in its story, which is one that does not involve uh, nuisance and danger to adjacent property owners and diminution of value to everybody nearby. I love it. I, um, I'd love to know more of the stories about some of the stuff that the properties that these students work on. I love knowing more about your story uh, as the clinic has come together and the evolution of everything. So Thanks for sharing your stories with me today and with the listeners. I I think we could go on talking about this for ages. So maybe we can have further installments as we go down the road. Um, But very interesting stuff, guys. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And thanks for taking some time to talk with me today. Thank you for highlighting us, Ryan. We appreciate it. All right. Appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Thanks. Bye.